there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. It would be fair to say, and I think you might agree with me, that negative emotions are destroying our lives on every front. That there is no area of our life where negative emotions are not destroying our life, destroying the quality of our life. Our mental, emotional, and physical health are all under siege, and they are under the siege of negative emotions. In our world, we know that mind affects matter. Now, there are other worlds where people don't know that. We're mechanical, and we know that. But not everyone does. And so in our world, we see very clearly that mind does affect matter. And in the other world, they don't see as clearly that mind affects matter, but they see very clearly that matter affects mind. But in our world, we don't see very clearly that matter affects mind. Beginning of this work, we're taught to observe, not to analyze. Don't try to find the cause of what it is you're observing. Just notice it. Just allow it to come into your awareness and try not to make any judgments about it. Try not to get upset about it or excited about it. Just try to notice it as if it was happening to an interesting stranger that you saw in a crowd of people and you just watched to see what he would do next. Just that simple. No one you knew, just that guy over there with that blue hat on. Look at him. Isn't that interesting? Look at him. I wonder what he'll do next. Or look at what he's putting on his hot dog. You know, that kind of thing. But without a bunch of judgment, you know, without the, ooh, he's putting that on his hot dog. Oh, that's disgusting. I would never do that. You're identifying. You're already not observing. So that's not what we're talking about. The reason that you're told this in the work is because, one, the work takes into consideration our very low state. It takes into consideration that we are a mere shadow of what a man actually could be and should be. The possibilities that are open to us, we fall so short of that that it's not even good to talk about it because people get suicidal. <laughs> they start to get discouraged and depressed, and, and that's really not the purpose of this work. They tell us this because of our identification. We're being trained away from identifying. That's really what the beginning of this work is. It's about being trained away from identification because identification is our problem. We can't figure out who we are because we think we are everything that we think and feel and say and do. And those are things that just happen because of what we acquired in life. And we're trying to understand that. We're trying to learn that. We're trying to begin to see that as the reality that it is. Because they are emotions, we imagine that their area of effect is only emotional. But of course, we have begun to see that what we don't know can and does hurt us. What goes unobserved is the most dangerous. If you can keep your enemy in sight, it's not likely that you're going to be flanked or attack from behind if you can keep your enemy in sight. If you lose track of your enemy, you've got problems. What goes unobserved can be a real problem. This is why in time of war, intelligence is so important. If you know where the enemy is, what he's doing, what he's planning, you can plan to protect yourself from that. And in this case, we are at war. The machine is warring against the man that you could be. Often we jump the noticing step, attempting to move right to fixing what we've observed. When I say often, I'd say more often than not. We just skip the noticing step. Okay, well, I've observed that, now I need to fix that. I've observed that, now I need to stop that. And it's because, obviously, of our pride and vanity. I mean, what else could it be? 
if you observe something and you realize that that's the step that you need to take, that you need to observe this without identifying. You're not supposed to analyze it. You're not supposed to fix it. You're not supposed to stop it. Just simply observe it. That's what you're told to do. And of course, that's not what we do. What we do is what we think is best. So we have a teacher and he taught us, but now we know more than the teacher. So now we start to do on our own what we see is really important. Okay, well, now that I can see that I do this thing, now I need to stop it. But you don't need to stop it until you're told to stop it. The unfortunate thing about us is that we can't wait until we're told to do something. The minute it comes into our imagination, the minute it pops into our heads, we think we can do it because we thought of it or because somehow the thought blew into our heads. We didn't even think of it. It just happened. And this is not the case. If someone has a bad temper, becomes aware of it, they try to stop it before it goes off. Well, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it because a bad temper can make you look bad. People don't like people with a bad temper. You could lose your job. You could lose your family. You could lose this. You could lose that. People don't like that. So the first thing we try to do when we observe it, well, the work says just observe it. Don't do anything about it. But we try to fix it. Why? Because it makes us look bad. What about all the time before you observed it? Well, you looked bad then too, but you didn't know it. But once you become aware of it, then your pride kicks in. And once your pride kicks in, it makes you do things that the work tells you not to do. Why do you suppose the work is there? The work is there because if we obey our pride, which of course we will do, we will end up in a bad place. If we obey the work, which of course we won't do, we will end up in a better place. It's a matter of trying to understand that if you obey your pride and you try and fix it before you're told to fix it, you're going to end up screwing things up. But if you'll obey the work, then what will happen is you will end up in a better place because you will get the upper hand on your pride, which is one of your main problems in life. As a matter of fact, if you could get rid of all pride instantaneously, you would not be a broken machine anymore you would start to self-heal. The universe would automatically begin to put you into balance. What keeps us out of balance, what keeps us screwed up, what keeps us mechanical, what keeps us crazy is our pride. If that were gone, if that could somehow miraculously just be taken away instantaneously, you would be enlightened in a very short time. It's your pride, I'm sorry to say, because it's not something that you are going to be able to give up very easily. It's going to take a tremendous amount of work and effort, and it's going to take some useful, necessary suffering. And we don't usually embrace that. Isn't there another way? Yes, there are lots of other ways. Why don't you go find one of those? I did. I found those, and here I am. And why am I here? Well, because those other ways didn't work. That's why I'm here. And guess what? That's why you're here. <laughs> you, had, you had lots of those other ways too, and they didn't work. But every once in a while, we forget that. And we think we can go back. We think, oh, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else. Anything rather than give up the pride. So the idea that once you see it, you can stop it is pride. I mean, what else could it be? We imagine because we see it. Now we imagine that we can do. What is it? If you knew who you were, if you knew that you had to obey something higher than yourself, you wouldn't succumb to the pride, would you? So pride is what makes you think that you don't have to obey anything higher than yourself, that there isn't anything higher than yourself. If you weren't obeying the pride, then if you were not seeing whatever it was. So if you're not seeing your bad temper, then you're being your bad temper. But if you're seeing it, then you're not being it. And what does that mean? Does it mean it's not going? Does it mean it's not happening? Does it mean it's not there? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. It just means you're not identified with it. That's what it means. And that is what this work is aiming at. It's not aiming at stopping you from having a bad temper, at least not now. It's aiming at you not identifying with your bad temper. So just do what you're told. Don't identify with what you observe. Don't try to stop it. Just don't identify with it. 
To make a thing conscious begins to change it. That is what this work is about. You see, this is crucial, people. This is the linchpin of this whole work thing, this whole esoteric system, all esoteric systems. This is the linchpin. Everything turns on this. It is not your job to change it. To make a thing conscious begins to change it. There is a power higher than you, greater than you, more intelligent than you that we call light. And the light is what changes it, not you. If you change it, it goes directly to pride and you foul yourself. Can you see that? The thing that needs to be removed is the pride. But you can't remove the pride by fixing yourself. You only get more proud. And the more proud you get, the more screwed up you get. That's what screwed you up in the first place was the pride. So that has to be removed. In order to remove that, you have to not identify Bringing the centers into the picture is part of the process of observation. We learn to observe more fully rather than jump to imaginary doing. At first we just observe that we have a bad temper. And then we observe that this person or that type of person trigger our bad temper. So I think Steve said something the other day that about <laughs> that he was a racist, that anybody who had a different skin color than his, he immediately had a negative reaction to. You know, that's self-observation, people. Now, it may not be very good on your pride to sit in a room full of people and say that, especially when all the people's black, <laughs> to say that. But on the other hand, it may go directly to your pride. So you can't tell. And this is why many times in the work, they say, you know, don't talk about it. Don't talk about your work. And the reason they say don't talk about it is not because they don't want other people to know. It's because you will somehow use it as a way to build up your pride, to build yourself up, to build this imaginary self up, this false self up, this imaginary I. And that's not the purpose of this work. The purpose of this work is to eliminate that, not to build that up. But if you do the work the wrong way, you will build that up rather than eliminate it. So that's why I've said in the past, and I will say once again, Again, this work can be very dangerous. That doesn't mean it has to be hidden from people. People are going to do what they're going to do. You take all the guns away. No one's ever going to kill anybody else again? No, because people are the problem. Guns are just tools that people use to do what they do. In the intellectual center, we become conscious of the kinds of thoughts that are going on. We become conscious of where we are identified with those thoughts. In the emotional center, we observe the taste of emotions and if we're identified with them or not. This takes a little more skill to observe the taste. You have to start to distinguish, take two tastes that are vastly different. For example, one of the things that some people like to do is they like to... Let me, let me give you a little exercise right now. Take your right hand and hold it up like this. Okay, now squeeze your fist. Make a fist. Now squeeze as hard as you can until your fingers turn white. Harder, harder, harder. Squeeze. Now stop and relax. Just relax that hand. You feel the difference between that tension, that contraction, and the expansion, just the relaxation? Feel that difference? Do it again. Squeeze, 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 squeeze till your fingers turn white, white, white. Good, good. Arthur, if your fingers turn white, stop squeezing. <laughs> okay, let go. And just now watch. Watch as the blood rushes back into your fingers. and Feel that. Can you feel the warmth coming back into your hand? Can you feel the tingly? You feel the sensations? Okay. Well, this is an exercise you can do. And this is an exercise that you will do if you do what I tell you to do. If you don't do what I tell you to do, then go find another teacher who you will do what they tell you to do. If you are your own teacher and you already are doing what you tell yourself to do, then have a nice life. What can I say? I have a dog who chases his tail too. And every once in a while I have to stop him because he just keeps on chasing it. And they had to put a dog down for chasing its tail. 
got into this loop, this obsessive compulsive thing and chased it down, chased it down, couldn't do anything else. And uh, they had to put it to sleep. So before you get put to sleep, I'll try and crack you on the head and see maybe if I can get your attention. It's not good to be your own teacher. It just doesn't work. But if you insist, then there's nothing I can do and there's nothing anyone can do short of putting you down. And that's what life will do. Life will eventually put you down. And then you'll get to try again or not, whichever you choose to believe. Of course, what you choose to believe won't change anything at all. But whatever you choose to believe, whatever makes you happy in this moment is usually what we choose to believe, whatever feels good, which again is a function of our own pride and our own false personality. And false personality and pride are synonymous pretty much. Pride is a part of false personality. I think maybe I should say it that way. Finally, in the moving center, we observe postures, muscle tensions, facial expressions, things like that. Obviously, we're talking about matter over mind this morning, so we're going to be talking about the moving center and how we can begin to observe things in the moving center and make some progress in that area. I have a chiropractor that I go to, and the other day I was over there, and he drives up to his office in this little electric golf cart. He's got a piece of property there, and he drives up to his office in his little golf cart. And people on the podcast aren't going to be be able to see this, but he moves his tongue like this. Have you ever noticed that about him, anybody who's been to him? Uh-huh. He's got this just this habit that he does with his tongue. So I saw him coming up doing that, and so I did it. Now, I'm not sure whether I did it because it was monkey see, monkey do, or I did it to kind of show him that he was doing it. I have a feeling it was the latter, but I'm not really proud of that. But there it is. But then something really wonderful happened is, is that I noticed that I had been noticing about myself that when I'm doing things, tasks, chores, if I'm in the kitchen doing something or if I'm putting the birds outside or feeding them or preparing their food, whatever, that I have begun to notice tension and movement around my mouth, that my mouth would do something. Now, I've noticed this about other people for years. Patty does this. Whenever she's trying to control her emotions, whenever she's trying to control negative emotions, she does this. Puts this pose on of calm. You should take a breath like that. Cynthia used to do this, something like that. So people have these different things they do with their mouths, and I've noticed that. But I recently became aware of the fact that I do something with my mouth. I'm doing this too, and I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? And so then I made it a point, an aim a goal to start to catch myself doing that and then to consciously relax all these tiny little muscles that were operating without my awareness, without me telling them what to do. In other words, my mouth was doing things that I didn't ask it to do. Well, of course, you all know that that's the one thing gets us in more trouble than anything else. Prophet Muhammad said, if you can control the member between your lips and between your thighs, I will escort you to heaven. (laughs) and it's like yeah there you go if you can control those two things you have your ticket to enlightenment you have your ticket to development but that is not an easy thing to do you'll also remember that james said the letter i guess the only letter that they the canon the only canonized letter that you're allowed to have he says that the tongue is a tiny member but it sets it starts a world of trouble and that is very difficult to to control, but you have to master it. You have to learn to control it. And of course, he's right, but it's not something that we work on very often. And this is one of the ways you can begin to work on it. Start to notice this tension, these this, whatever tension you may hold in the tiny muscles around your mouth, your eyes, your nose. Just begin to become aware of those muscles when you're doing something else. Just become aware. That's all. Just become aware. And then consciously try to relax. Now, how do you do that? Well, there's one way to do it. It's the same way that I showed you with your hand. 
you can contract and then relax to see what it feels like to relax. Most of us don't even know what it feels like to relax. We carry so much tension in our bodies so often, all the time. People sleep holding their shoulders up because we're not conscious of it. This is another area where you can observe and bring light to this area. And let the light bring about the change. You don't have to do anything because when you try to do something that you can't do, guess what that does? It creates more tension, more stress that doesn't serve the purpose. But if you can allow something higher than you to do the work, then you don't have to go through all the tension and the stress and the strain. This is why it's so important to have a teacher. You don't have to chart your own course. That's your teacher's job. Let your teacher chart your course. Of course, you've got to get to a certain point before you can do that. When you get to that point where you have been able to curb enough pride that you're willing to admit that there's a possibility that there's someone who knows better than you, which is, I admit, it's a very difficult stage to reach, but it is possible. It is possible to reach that stage. And you can reach it like instantaneously in imagination, which is where most of you already have it. If you have it, you probably have it in imagination. Let's put it that way. And we really don't need to go into proving that, I hope, because I can prove that very quickly with you. I can give each of you a very specific thing that you've been told to do that you did not do because you could not obey. You could not listen to your teacher. You decided that you knew better. So if you don't think that your pride is running you, just let me know and I'll quietly take you aside and tell you that one thing, the one thing out of many. And you probably already know it, and that's why you're getting negative right now. <laughs> but, you know, great, just observe that. You know, just observe that what, what it is that you get negative about. Just observe what kinds of thoughts you're identifying with. Observe the taste of the emotion that you're identifying with. Observe the sensations, you know, in your body that you're identifying with and that have supposedly, quote, made you, end quote, negative. One of the things that we begin to find out when we see that our postures, our facial expressions, and our other manifestations of the moving center often cause our negative states. Now, this is the part where it's matter over mind. This is the part where matter, our posture, our position, actually begins to bring about the negative state. So we'll need examples of this, won't we? Because I can tell by the look on your face that we need examples. <laughs> That's all right. I've got examples. You remember Pigpen from uh, Peanuts? A cloud of dirt started maybe from not washing, but now it affects everything about him. He goes to sing and he takes a deep breath and all the dust goes into his lungs. <coughs> he can't sing. It's kind of like that. Like we may start this posture, this facial expression, this other manifestation in the moving center. We may have put that in there. But then it develops a mind of its own and it starts to lead us. And that's a problem. For example, one of the things that people who try to help other people quit smoking do is they give them something to do besides put a cigarette in their mouth. There are certain times, there are key times when people will go for a cigarette automatically. Their body will just go for it. They don't really want it, but their body just knows that when you do this, this, and this, then this is supposed to happen and they go for the cigarette. Also, people who work with people who have problems with food addictions, who eat too much and want to not eat too much and want to do something about it or willing to do something about it. Of course, everybody who eats too much, well, not everybody, but most people who eat too much 
get to a certain point in their lives when they can no longer get in and out of their car comfortably, when their clothes don't fit, when then they want to do something about it. But they only want to do something about it for a little while and then they figure out what it's going to cost to do something about it and so they just go buy more comfortable clothes or they change cars or whatever. And they don't really ever do anything about it. They just do something else so that they can keep it, but keep it comfortably. But there are people who actually do, once they come to this realization, I need to do something about this, and then they do something about it. And there are other people who help them, and they will tell them, well, this is one of the things you have to be aware of. When you do this, you know that you're going to do that. So become aware when you do this. Become aware, because if you can put the light in between this and that, you can stop it. And so the same thing with cigarette smoking. So those are just some examples of how we do that, how we let the body affect the mind. I remember one time, this was years and years and years ago. I hope Steve doesn't mind. We're going to tell a story on Steve, but it's a great story. We were at a a ham swap meet down in Spring Valley. And there was this guy who was in the Navy. He was a chief in the Navy, and uh, Ray, and he was a ham operator. He was talking to me about something. Steve was with me. We were walking around the swap meet, and Steve was with me. He had his backpack. You remember, Steve was lifting weights back then. He He had a different body than he has now, and he was a different person than he is now. Ray came up to me uh, later and he said, uh, you know, you can tell your friend over there, he's big enough, he doesn't have to make that face. And so I told Steve, I said, you're big enough, and you don't have to make that face all the time. And Steve just kind of made this mean face, you know. This, he just had this kind of like, I'm a tough guy face. And he just would go around, especially if he was out in public, he'd go around with this, I'm a tough guy face, and you know, wearing I'm a tough guy shirts and had an I'm a tough guy, you know, it just had enough, I'm a tough guy posture, don't mess with me. And Ray was really comical. He said, do you tell your friend he's big enough? He, he really doesn't have to make that face. And I thought it was hilarious, so I naturally told Steve, I don't know how he felt about it, whether he thought it was hilarious. Do you remember that at all? I do. Yeah. It was kind of funny, wasn't it? Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind of it. Every emotion has a corresponding representation in the moving center. Unpleasant emotions contract facial muscles, limbs, etc. When you have unpleasant emotions, you get contracted. This is why body language works. This is why I can look at people and tell them, hey, look, uncross your legs. Uncross your legs and your arms. Uncross your legs. Well, not bad. Everybody eventually got it. And cross your arms. See if that helps. Yeah. And now, yes, that's right. You're cold because you're contracted because contraction cuts down circulation. And when your circulation is cut down, you get cold. That's right. And so one of the things we do is we contract trying to get warm. Well, that's not how you get warm. If you want to get warm, either put something warm on or move. Well, but I'm sitting here. I can't move. Yeah, you can. It's possible to move. It's possible to move your blood without moving a muscle. You can move your blood with your mind. This is a proven fact. You can move your blood with your mind. They took, as an experiment to prove this, they took a man and balanced him perfectly on a board with a fulcrum here in the middle. Then they told him to think about running, and it tipped toward his feet. Then they told him to think, work out this math problem, and it tipped toward his head. And it was the blood. He was moving his blood in his body. You can and do do that. You do it unconsciously. Your body has the power to do that. But you can do that. We won't even go into all the things that the yogis have proved beyond the shadow of a doubt. Scientifically proved that the human body is capable of that they can do, that we cannot do, but they can do. In fact, it's so remote that we, could e- we can't even imagine that they can do it until it's proved. And then when it's proved, for example, beating their heart, they can slow their heartbeat down to nothing. Breath, they can control breath that we can't even imagine. They can do all of these things that we can't do. You can cross your legs and your arms and do whatever you want to do now. It was just an example.
I'm not trying to use you as a puppet and make you do what I want you to do. I'm just trying to get you to see that you're resistant. Just that simple. You're resistant. That you know better than anybody else and that you're not going to listen to anybody else. And sooner or later, that's got to go. So I recommend sooner than later. But just notice your objections. And just notice Tammy's objection to, no, I'm not going to uncross my arms and legs. I'm cold. This is what I do when I'm cold. I'm cold and this is going to make me warm. Okay. That's your objection. That's where you stop. You stop at your objection. You go no further. So the day's over for you. So maybe later today or some other time you'll be able to let that objection go and maybe let some more light in. But when you contract an aperture on a camera, you let less light in, not more light in. But when you open that aperture, when you relax that aperture, when you let it become wider, you let more light in. It's the light that will heal you. It's the light that will cure you. Let the light in. Don't contract and keep the light out. Just that simple. It's just not easy to do. Pleasant emotions relax muscles, extend limbs, and beneficially affect internal organs. We know this from yoga. Those of you who have done yoga, you know this from yoga. Negative emotions contract and close. Pleasant emotions relax and open. As much fun as it may be to pick out these things in others, it's more productive to begin to notice them about ourselves if we wish to develop. It was great fun to see other people's mouths, like Lori's mouth right now, which she's doing. Tammy has this habit. She'll chew her lower lip. Lori, she's doing her thing. Jess has a lot of tension around his mouth. Just notice it about yourself. Just notice it about yourself. So when I see that in other people, I start to become aware of my own muscles in my mouth. Okay, what am I doing? Can you smile? Can you smile? Is it possible? Feel how good it feels to smile, how it just relaxed tension? Well, that smile may not. (laughs) That that kind of death grin probably won't really relax. Yeah. Yeah. If you smile like the Tasmanian devil, you're probably moving in the wrong direction. (laughs) But it's good, though, to see that. It's good to practice that. You know, it's like I have a brother who's 17 months younger than me. At least I, I think I still have a brother who's 17 months younger than me. I don't know whether he's alive or not, but, but I think he is. And he used to spend an enormous amount of time making faces in the mirror when we were kids. He, he couldn't go by a mirror without stopping and admiring himself and making faces. And Jack LaLanne used to make faces. Jack LaLanne used to do this. It was exercises he'd do. Of course, when I was a kid, I did that too. I used to love to look at my neck when I did that. Then I found from Jack LaLanne, that's a good exercise for tightening muscles and keeping your skin tone and getting all little jolly things that we get and everything as you it's a good idea to go ahead and stand in the mirror and go ahead and make faces yeah go ahead and make faces you know scrunch it up and do all of those things and then feel it's not about your face and how you look this is about you starting to become aware of your muscles in your face because the face is very expressive and a lot of negative emotions show up there before they show up anywhere else And this is why I study faces, so that I know what's coming. Because when you're in the business that I'm in of telling people things that they don't want to hear, stepping on corns that they've been protecting for years, touching areas that they will kill you if you touch, it's like playing with rattlesnakes. You've got to know what that rattle means. You've got to know what it means when they coil. You've got to know what it means when their head goes back. You've got to know how long you have to get out of the way before they start pumping venom into your body. So you learn these things in this business. When you play with rattlesnakes, you learn how to not get bitten because, and you always keep a little anti-venom close by too. (laughs) So just in case you missed it. But you learn these things. I know it makes you sound awful, doesn't it? (laughs) 
<laughs> it, it, it makes you sound like rattlesnakes, doesn't it? You, have you thought of yourself as a rattlesnake, actually, as a poisonous viper, a cobra? Yes, you thought of yourself as a cobra? Well, that's nice. <laughs> that's, that's a lovely thought, isn't it? Anyway, it's not going to hurt you to think of yourself that way. You just remember your miserable little being and remind yourself that you are a cobra, you are a snake. And uh, you can be counted on to do very nasty things, very venomous things to people when you're crossed. Like the old American flag, or the frontiersman flag, the coiled rattlesnake, don't tread on me. It's a good thing to remember about yourself, you know, that when you tread on, you can be very poisonous and strike. So be mindful of that. And that's really one of the things that this work will help you with. Maurice Nicole said, usually the emotions cause the expression, but the expression can cause the emotion. The moving center can influence emotional states, matter over mind, and emotion in this case. For example, Connie sent me this little YouTube video, and it's this girl, and this little girl, how old was that little girl that was crying for some rock star? She was eight, maybe, about an eight-year-old little girl, and her 13 or 14-year-old sister is holding her in her lap, and she is crying, crying, crying. Well, I guess the mother was videotaping this. This is so bizarre. Why are you crying? It's just because she loved this either movie star, rock star, or somebody. And uh, she was just crying. Honey, you don't have to cry. Yes, I do, because it hurts so much. And she's crying, crying, crying. It's, really just, it's comical and pitiful at the same time. And then the phone rings. And the girl goes, that's Justin Timberlake, or whoever it was. And she, all of a sudden, she's all happy and smiling. Well, Pavlov's dogs, you'll remember, they ring a bell and the dogs would salivate. And this is how we learned about matter over mind. And we say, oh, yes, that's dogs and little kids. But what about us? Same thing. You are living in an animal body. And trust me, you are not in control of it. If you were in control of it, you could do things that you can't do. Is there anything you can't do with your body? Yes. Okay, good. Then we'll leave it at that. (laughs) The moving center is our object of focus today. Some of us have very bad moving centers when it comes to this. Notice how the room feels when Steve is sulking. In the whole room, there's this like this pig pen cloud over comes over the whole room and everybody kind of gets on pins and needles. Or ask his kids, well, what's it like if dad's not happy? Well, it's not good around the house. Well, his face is red, so I guess he's, he's aware of this. You're aware of this. Yeah. He just emanates this cloud of negativity and you know it. I mean, you can feel it. It is palpable. So, That's what I mean, being bored or one of our other signature postures. He has his own signature postures, and he changes them from time to time. It used to be this tough guy walking around, muscle man, tough guy with a mean face. That used to be his thing. Keep away from me, I bite, I'm a bulldog. Now it's keep away from me, I'm a sulky mushroom. So it's like, whatever, it's the same message. The message is always the same, keep away from me. You'll notice that about yourself if you look at yourself. Some people gain 200 pounds to keep everybody away from them. Some people only gain 100 because they don't have quite as many people to keep away. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. I don't know what what I'm talking about there, but obviously I haven't gained 100 pounds, so this is not my area of expertise. Now, losing weight to get rid of people, I can do that, (laughs) but I'm not very good at gaining weight to get rid of people. Actually, I can get rid of people without doing anything with my weight. I can just move my mouth like I'm doing now. 
sometimes it's necessary to alter our stance, our posture, habitual facial expression, whatever, to begin to affect a change in the emotional center and the intellectual center. We use this to our advantage. If the moving center can affect the emotional center and the intellectual center and make us negative by being in a certain posture, then it stands to reason that if we can alter that, if we can work directly with the moving center and alter the posture, then we can begin to alter our emotional state and our intellectual state. For example, laughing yoga. Now, how do you feel when we're laughing? It's hard to be negative when you're laughing. Very difficult. Some people can do it, but then they stop laughing and then they just put all of their energy into being negative. You'll find some people who resist laughter because they know that it will spoil their negative state. Now, since we know that some people do that, find the time when you've done that. And uh, you have already found it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can always tell the light dawns, they smile, because light is also L-I-T-E. It's light, it's not heavy. When light dawns on us, if it's heavy, it really hasn't done its work let it keep working. If it's light, let it work until you finally smile or laugh. Then you know that it's really hit you. Then you know you really got it. You'll have to find on your own how you have done this, how you fight laughing, you fight humor in order to hang on to your negative state. And all you're really doing is hanging on to your account. Nothing else and hanging on to your internal consideration. You're not getting off the hook that easily, buddy. You hurt me and you're going to pay. Okay, we'll just let it go there because I think you got it. Fortunately, you've done Vipassana training, so you have tools at your disposal. Don't let them sit around collecting dust. Now I know that a lot of you have lost your tools, and now they're collecting rust somewhere, and you're going to have to go find them. But it's worth it. It's worth it to go and find them and get them in shape and start to use them, because there's more that you can do with them than what you've yet done. There is more that you can do with self-observation than what you have yet done. There's more that you can do with all of these things that I'm telling you than what you have yet done. There is still progress for you to make with the old tools that you have cast aside to try and find some new, better, shiny tools that work faster and easier. you understand what I'm saying? Good. I like that. In some situations, working directly with the moving center is all that we can do. Sometimes the best thing that you can do in a situation when you are out of control is put your hands in your pocket or bite your tongue. That's the best that you can do. Fine, then do that. Do the best that you can do. And sometimes just working with the moving center and trying to tense up and then relax and get the feeling of relaxation or uncrossing your legs and uncrossing your arms and putting your palms up in a receptive posture is all it takes to relax and escape the thoughts and the emotions. They have nothing to hold on to. So just try that. A lot of you know already that taking a deep breath and exhaling slowly will help. These are all things that you do with your moving center that can help you intellectually and emotionally when you need it. It's good to have these things. To relax the tiny muscles around my mouth, I've had to become aware they were tensed, tightened, contracted. It's not just facial expressions anymore. It's more. It's these tiny little muscles that are barely perceptible until you start to focus on them. And then it's like, wow, there they are working and there's nothing you can do about it. 
I've caught myself this morning. Remember that exercise we used to do? You open the door and then you close the door the same way you opened it. So if you turn the handle or you pull the lever, whatever it was you did to open the door, that's how you close it. And do that every time you go through a door. Well, needless to say, that is not something you can do. But it's something you can do a couple of times a day, maybe. Maybe you'll be able to open a door and close a door consciously one or two or three times a day. If you can do that, it's amazing. Every time I go to the front door and I open it, maybe nine out of ten times, not every time, but nine out of ten times when I go to, I think of that exercise, I turn the knob, I open the door, turn the knob, and I close the door. And I am conscious of doing that. And I think of that exercise while I'm doing it. That is making use of the moving center in a way that's beneficial to us. Same thing with these tiny muscles around your mouth. Now, like for Jess, it may not be his mouth as much as he likes. He just loves to furrow his brow. So Jess has to become aware of what he does. He does this with his brow. So he must constantly be thinking of smoothing his brow, relaxing his brow. And I don't mean constantly, but he needs to put some effort in. To that. You need to put some effort into what you do with your mouth. You need to put some effort into biting your lip. You need to put some effort into pursing your lips. Whatever. And I need to put some effort into whatever it is that I do. So this is what I'm talking about. Connie has this way of making her chin look like an orange peel. That's something she can put some effort into. It's very difficult to work with the eyes. Some people have more going on with their eyes. Now Steve will tell you that he knows as soon as his eyes start to squint and turn to slits, he's in trouble. He needs to stop that. And he needs to to look at whatever it is he's where he's going because it's down the wrong road and this is how it can cue us and this is why i'm talking about this idea of matter over mind because if you can change that you can stop the state because that is two things at once one thing it's a signal that you're going into the state and another thing you can do that and just get into the state can you narrow your eyes and get into the state yes yeah so there you go there are things that you do in your moving center that will put you into certain states I've cataloged a list of the things that will put me in the good states that I do in my moving center. I know that if I go to a certain room and I sit on a certain cushion in a certain way, I will automatically go into an altered state of consciousness because that's where I meditate and I'm ready. It's a set and a setting. It's all there. I'm ready. I know where I'm going, so I go there faster. That's another example of it. A muscle can tighten without visibly contracting That's another thing. You can become so aware of these tiny muscles that you can notice that they're contracting and there'll be no visible sign of it, but you can feel it. You can become that aware. Some folks are like tight guitar strings, waiting for something to touch them so that they can go off on whatever it is they're going to go off on. Some folks. Of course, I'm talking about other people not in this room. But when I say some folks just say, yes, I'm like that. Gurdjieff said people remain in the prison of themselves and can't find a different life of self-change because of habits in their centers. The reason Gurdjieff taught the movements is because it's the easiest place to start. It's easier to change habits of movement than it is to change habits of mind and habits of emotion. This is why the people who try to get you to stop smoking will start with a physical thing first. Okay, instead of putting a cigarette in your mouth, put a toothpick in your mouth or put this in your mouth, put a piece of candy in your mouth. They have a lot of different ways that they do it, but these are things that they do. And it's because it's easier to change physical habits than it is to change mental and emotional habits. So this is a good place to start. Of course, this work is to change the mind and the feelings of oneself. So work on the moving center, habits, has to be accompanied by work on the emotional center and the intellectual center, or no results will be forthcoming. When you work on the moving center alone, you're not going to go anywhere. And this is 
very observable. A changed mind is more powerful than a changed moving center. Only awakening the higher faculties can properly teach the moving center. The moving center cannot properly be directed unless the higher centers are awakened so that they can direct it. In order for us to regain our lost talents and powers of the physical body, we're going to have to awaken the higher centers in order to reteach them to the body. The body is not going to remember how to do that now. It's lost to us. You know, the indigenous people in Australia who can go and find water and smell it miles away and just go right to it. And we can't. We cannot. And it's like something would have to be awakened in us for us to do that. Because if we went out there and tried to do it, we'd die first. So they would work on awakening those higher centers in us in order to teach that to us. And so you go on a walkabout is what you do. And what's the purpose of a walkabout? Get away from life, get away from all the things you're attached to, get away from everything that you're identified with, and get out there with a holy man, with a teacher, and do what you're told. And it's a matter of life or death. There are not many people here in the West that are committed to that at all, that they're willing to risk life or death over their spiritual progress or to awaken the higher centers. Finally, one of the things I wanted to point out is I had a yoga teacher once, and she was, without a doubt, one of the best yoga practitioners I have ever seen. That woman was incredible. And she was, without a doubt, one of the most emotionally crippled people that I have ever met. The yoga didn't work. So all of that work on the moving center never got to the emotional center so that she could get it under control. She could turn negative at the drop of the hat and she could hold a grudge for lifetimes. This is not what this is about. In this work, your progress is gauged by how quickly you can drop your pride and assume a position of humility, a genuine sense of humility of your own nothingness, how quickly you can forgive, release, cancel, and account. This work is measured by, you want to know how you're doing, that is the area that you need to look at. How quickly can you forgive? How quickly can you humble yourself? How quickly can you cancel an account? How easily will you love someone for no reason? When you can start to measure those things, then you'll start measuring your progress in this work. I don't care how many movements you can do. The movements will do no good unless those things can accompany them. This is why I don't give you exercises as a rule. I say, make up your own exercises based on your own understanding of this work. Those will do so much more for you than anything anyone else can give you. I promise you. So do that. Be inventive. Add to your Vipassana five or so minutes per day of directing your attention to the parts of the body. I find it useful to start at the top and work down paying close attention to the tiny muscles in the face and the head, around my ears, around my nose, around my eyes, around my mouth. I find that if I pay attention to those places, the muscles, tiny muscles around there, it's amazing how much I can relax more than I could if I was relaxing my whole body. Trying to relax, just drop your shoulders. Don't hold your arms up. Drop your shoulders, for example. Things like that. But the tiny muscles, that's the key for me. And I understand it's the key for a lot of people, so that's why I share that with you. Internal attention begins with self-observation. You have the tools. Either use them or lose them. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.